impact your life and my life. And that's what Peter, in this last little bit, is challenging us on. And so I want to look at that. How does the parousia impact you? Peter puts it this way, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with an incredible roar. The elements will be destroyed and melt with fire. And the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare, open up for judgment. He says later on, that day will bring about the destructions of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, the promise of the Lord Jesus, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. We are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. The day of the Lord. That's a theme right through the Old Testament. You see, man thinks that this is his day, but God's day is coming. We are living in this present evil age, but the age to come is on its way, and we live now presently in the overlap of the ages since the coming of the Lord Jesus. We're living in these last days until the final great day of the Lord. But that day, Peter says, is a day of judgment. It's funny, people don't like the evil that happens in our world, and they they say, where's God when bad things happen? But you need to know that God is going to deal with evil, and God's going to deal with the bad, and there is coming a day of judgment. Except when we start to talk about that, people go, oh, how can that be? God's a God of love. We sort of want it both ways. Why isn't God doing something about the evil? Why is he letting all this to happen? And yet when we talk about God coming and doing something about evil and making an end to it, casting Satan into the bottomless pits and then ultimately into the lake of fire and judging the nations and sin and destroying evil and then destroying this world but bringing out of it new heavens and a new earth where there will be no more sin and no more death no more crying and no more pain because it will be reflecting the character of God totally in righteousness. And only righteous people can live in that new kingdom and those new heavens and earth. And I only become righteous through receiving the forgiveness of sins and the gift of Christ's righteous life in me through faith in his death and his burial and his resurrection. The day of the Lord is coming. And Peter says it's going to come like a thief. You don't know when it's going to be. You don't know the time or the hour. And if anybody starts to preach and tell you when it's in, you know he's a false teacher because the Scripture and the apostles are quite clear that Jesus said nobody knows, only the Father, not even the angels, not even the Son, only the Father. That day is coming. And it's a day of the Lord, a day of judgment. But out of it will come new heavens and a new earth where righteousness will reign. Where it'll be as God first intended it to be, as he first created the heavens and the earth. We're not going to go into this, but the scripture talks about and a number of things about the coming day of the Lord and the goals of the end times. And so often we get into fights in the church about whether he's going to come in his car this way or whether he's going to walk on foot this way to that helicopter. But the issue is not which way it'll happen but the fact that is it will happen and it should affect how we live. And that's what Peter's focusing on, the moral and ethical implications of the return of Jesus. But the goals of the end time are at least four. Christ will complete the church and present it. 
That's his bridegroom work. And the scripture talks about the rapture of the church and the rejoicing of the church and the rewards of the church and the return of the church with the Lord Jesus to rule and reign. Christ will complete the church and present it to his Father. It's his bridegroom work, and we're part of that work right now. Christ will consummate the promise to, to Israel and establish it. That's his Messiah work. And the scripture talks about the mystery of Israel. It looks like they've been put aside and uh, the, God has no more future for them. Don't be fooled. God always keeps his promises. And he's made a promise to the nation of Israel. And he will keep his promise. That's his Messiah work. He is their Messiah. And we've been joined in to the blessings of the Messiah. And Christ will condemn the forces of evil and destroy it. That's his judgment work. And the scripture talks about a number of judgments. There's the judgment of the church called the, the, uh, the, um, uh, the judgment seat of Christ where we will receive rewards and give an account for what we've done with all that God has given us. Not whether we'll be saved or not, but in ministry that is to come, the judgment seat of Christ. There is the great white throne judgment. There's the judgment of the nations. That's his judgment work. And that's what Peter's focusing on as he talks about the day of the Lord coming now. And Christ will commence the millennium and prosper. That's his kingly work. He will sit on the throne of David and he will rule and reign as he's promised. And people will see what a righteous rule is like. The four goals of the end times. But so we don't get so caught up and sometimes we can and how and when and all the, all the implications of that. We want to look mostly then how should that impact my life? That Jesus is coming. That Jesus is coming again, bodily, physically, really, actually, in reality. How should it impact my life? What are its ethicals, ethical implications? Well, Paul, Peter picks up, pardon me, at least five characteristics of those who are living in anticipation of the coming. And I hope these will become the lifestyle that is reflected in Outlook Christian Church. Let me look at them. First of all, there'll be people who reflect Jesus. There'll be personal holiness. Peter goes on to say, what kind of people ought you to be? Knowing that Jesus is coming and the day of the Lord is coming and judgment is coming. What kind of people should we be? And then he says, you ought to be living holy lives and godly lives. You should be making every effort to be found spotless and blameless. You ought to be holy, set apart for God's purposes, have the desire and focus to please God. My will is to do His will. I want to do what pleases Father, whether in my work or in my home, wherever I am. The focus is not is it right or wrong, is it will it please Father or not? Live a holy life, set apart for his purposes, a godly life, a godly life. The word godly comes from two words, good and worship, good and worship. We should live good worshipful, life, worshipful lives, not just on Sundays, but every day of our life. Our life should be one that brings honor and glory and praise and worship to our heavenly Father and good praise and worship in how we speak and how we act and how we behave, our language, our behavior, our attitudes. And make every effort by the presence and the person of the Holy Spirit in you. 
It doesn't mean we sit back and relax on this. We are to make every effort to be found spotless like our Lord Jesus. That's how the sacrifices were to be that they brought. There couldn't be any defect. There should not be any moral defect. Spotless and blameless, morally clean. Not so that I'll be accepted by God because I'm not accepted by my righteousness. I receive his righteous life, his purity and his forgiveness as a gift of God's grace. But then with the presence of his spirit, I need to make every effort to reflect the life that now lives in me. You see, because the false teachers were saying, Jesus is not coming, there is no judgment, so I can live as I like. It doesn't matter. I can say I'm a follower of Jesus and live an immoral life. It doesn't matter because Jesus is not coming again. This is all that there is. You see, in our view of the end affects life now. What we believe affects our behavior. Our conduct reflects our convictions. And if we believe that there is no, as the theological word is, teleological end to things, if there's no purpose and end to life, what we see is happening in the world, we, it leads to hedonism. That is, I can just eat, drink and be merry because tomorrow I die, there's nothing more. Or at least apathy. I don't really need to make any effort because nothing's going to happen. I came from nowhere. I'm going nowhere. So why do I need to even be ethical or moral? And it can lead to despair. There is no purpose and nothing to live for. And that's what we're seeing more and more as we forget God. But the Christian view is God has a plan and a purpose and there is an end and there is a purpose and there is new heavens and earth and there is a judgment. And we as followers of Jesus are heading towards something new and great and fantastic. And therefore it should impact our life now. So reflect Jesus, Peter says. There should be personal holiness. The other impact should be that we should be at peace. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless and blameless and at peace with him. In the middle of the persecution, in the middle of the traumas, in the middle of the false teachers, in the middle of the unknown future. We're followers of Jesus and we know what's coming and therefore we can be at peace even in the tumultuous times ahead because we know the Lamb wins. No matter what potentate arises, no matter what Caesar comes, we know the end. We know that God is in control. And so we can be at peace. It was a group of Moravian Christians who sent missionaries actually even to Nunda in Brisbane many years ago. They had a hundred year prayer meeting that never stopped and they sent missionaries all over the world. They were an incredible church that started at a place called Hernhut. There was a lot of trouble in all these Christians will get persecuted. They came together in this, uh, under Count Zinzendorf on his property to get away from persecution. They all had different backgrounds and different theologies and there was a lot of infighting and, and uh, Count Zinzendorf got them together and, and they started to pray that God would do something special in their midst and he did. And that prayer meeting never stopped for a hundred years and then they got so excited and transformed they wanted to share Jesus with others. And some even went and lived 
in leper colonies and even became lepers to share the gospel there. And some even went to Australia before it was hardly known. They went all around the world. And some were on their way to America when John Wesley caught a boat to go to America. He was an Anglican minister, Anglican priest, but he had never really been converted. He was very religious. And he was going to America, he said, to convert the Indians, but who would convert him? And on the way, they hit an incredible storm. And uh, everybody, even the sailors on this sailing vessel, were fearful how bad the storm was. And there was this group of Moravian believers. And he couldn't get over just how the mothers with their small children gathered around one of the uh, poles of the, uh, of the sailing ship and held hands and just began to pray. And he said just the peace that they had when everybody else was in turmoil struck him. And he said, I've got to know what that's about. And through a journey, later on, he came to experience the new birth and was truly born again with the Spirit of God and the Wesley revival impacted England. But the seed was sown when he saw the peace in the lives of these women and children of the Moravian Christians. Be it peace, knowing the end that Jesus is coming, knowing what's going to be, should bring us peace. Not only peace with God, but the peace of God in our life. And then the other implication, Peter tells us, is there should be an evangelistic zeal to share the faith as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. You see, bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation. As we looked at last time, He hasn't come back yet, not because He's slack or not because He's forgotten, but He is patient. He is not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance, the Scripture says. And He's giving us more opportunity to share the gospel and share the faith with those who don't know Him. As the Living Bible puts it, and remember why He is waiting, He's giving us time to get His message of salvation out to others and we can help to speed his coming as we live in obedience and as we share the gospel because Matthew tells us that the gospel has to be shared with the whole world before the end comes and so we can be part of fulfilling the prayer that Jesus told us to pray thy kingdom come and thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven share the faith evangelistic zeal, reflecting, having inner peace, sharing the faith of what Jesus has done as we wait for the coming. So it's not as if, well, Jesus is coming, so let's sit back and do nothing and wait. No, it should impact our whole life. It should impact our whole life. And part of it is we should be an evangelistic church, looking out, building relationships with people who don't know him praying for them that God will open their heart to the gospel, praying for opportunities to share our faith with them and inviting them to come and learn more about him and having the privilege of leading them to a personal faith in Christ. We haven't seen yet a floodgate of conversions at Outlook. But let's not give up. And great to have the ones or twos, and it's great to see our children coming to faith as well. But let's continue to pray. Let's continue to share our faith. Let's continue to have and reflect our name, Outlook 
Christian church. That was its heart of its beginning. Share the faith. Then another thing he says is stray, stay true to the word. Have doctrinal steadfastness. He puts it this way. Just as our dear brother Paul also wrote you with the wisdom that God gave him, he writes the same way in all his letters, speaking in them of these matters. His letters contain some things that are hard to understand even back then, which ignorant and unstable people distort as they do the other scriptures to their own destruction. The Living Bible puts it this way. Our wise and beloved brother Paul has talked about these same things, the coming of Jesus and the judgment to come and the day of the Lord. In many of his letters, some of his comments are not easy to understand, and there are people who are deliberately stupid, <laughs> a bit blunt, and always demand some unusual interpretation. They have twisted his letters around to mean something quite different from what he meant, just as they do the other parts of the Scripture, and the result is disaster for them. We need to stay true to the Word as we look forward to the coming of Jesus and be careful of clever and new ideas in the sense of suddenly out of nowhere I have had this inspiration from heaven and God has told me that this verse means this. Beware. We may seek to be culturally relevant and change how we do things, but we must be very careful not to change what God has said in his word. And we must be faithful to the doctrine already given of the apostles and the prophets. You see, we believe Jesus Christ is God come in the flesh. He's not Michael the archangel, as some would say. He is not just the human being that the Spirit came upon specially. No, he is the God-man. He is God incarnate. We believe that we're saved by grace through faith alone, not by works. It is the gift of God so no one can boast. So you can't earn your salvation, not even through baptism, though we're very strong on that. God is a triunity of persons. We believe that there is only one God, but this one God has revealed himself as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit because he's a God of love and he's been in relationship of persons from all eternity past. The God of the Christian is very different from the God of Islam, who's a monad, singularity. We believe in the virgin birth. And we believe in the second coming of Christ, that he will literally, actually return. Stay true to the Word. And that's why next year we're having a focus on the Word of God. And that's our key word, the Word, next year. We're looking at all different ways that we can focus on the Word and share the Word and grow in the Word and know the Word. And of course, the fifth area that Peter says that we needs to impact our life as we need to be maturing in the faith, not staying spiritual babies. Babies are beautiful and wonderful. But when they're 20 years old, we say they're immature. They're still acting like babies. And it's possible to be spiritual babies 
And it's great when they're just being born again, experience the new birth. You know, babies make mess. But when they become mature, they learn to clean up their own messes. Sometimes we don't grow spiritually mature. And Peter is saying the coming of Jesus should challenge us to that. And he says, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Grow. Continually be growing in gracious behavior as you reflect the gifts of the Spirit in your life of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. The outworking of the grace of God in your life. But grow in this grace behavior as well as in your knowledge, your understanding and your relationship with your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so often we can divide these two and we can just grow in what we know but not how we live. We need both. And knowledge of him through his word should impact our life and how we live and how we behave and how we treat each other. So we be, should become mature in the faith, growing in grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And why? To him be glory both now and forever. Why? Should we reflect Jesus? Why should we be at peace? Why should we share the faith? Why should we stay true to the word? Why should we be maturing in the faith? To bring him glory, not for our glory or our pat on the back, but to make him known, to reveal his character, to reveal the glory of redemption, the glory of spiritual growth, the glory of experiencing the grace of Jesus, the glory of escaping from false teachers and the glory of his ultimate return forever, or literally to the day of the age, the coming of that great day, the day of God, when his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then Peter finishes with, amen. That's a word that simply means, in the old English, so mote it be. So may it be. May it be just that way. That's why when people are praying, I don't know whether you realize we say amen. And why we say amen is simply saying, may it be just as you've asked. We agree with that. We affirm that. May it be just that way. I remember having a prayer meeting with a, a fellow who'd not long become a Christian. And he didn't know the Christian la lingo of amen. But he really thought that prayer was wonderful. And he came out so loud, I just, I, saw, I just had to laugh. But it sounded great, and then I realized, that's exactly what we're saying. This guy's praying, and this other fellow was listening, and he was just a new Christian. He was listening in, and he was getting excited about these prayers. And he said, I'll second that. <laughs> and I thought, that's exactly what amen saying. May it be just that way. I'll second that. I'll second that. So whether when others are praying, you say, I'll second that, or amen. And Peter is finishing what he's saying with the amen. May it be just, and it will be just as he said. Christ is coming. Don't doubt that. It will happen. 
It may seem a long time and false teachers will come and tell us he's never coming again. He's not coming. They were doing that right back there. And right back there, they were either trying to say what the date was or that he wouldn't come. But Peter's warning us, we don't know the time. You'll come like a thief. You've got to be ready. But he will come. And the reason why he hasn't come, he is patient. He is long-suffering. It's an expression of the goodness and the character of God. He loves people that are far from him. And he's given us and this world the greatest possible opportunity and chance to turn back to him. But in the meantime, knowing that reality, it should impact my life so that my life reflects Jesus in personal holiness, that my life is at peace and I have an inner peace knowing what the future holds, but that it should stir up my zeal to share the faith with others and bring them into the body of Christ. It should strengthen me to stay true to the word. And it should challenge me to mature in my faith, in my grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. To Peter. Let's pray. Oh, Father. Forgive us that we get so caught up in life and all that's happening here and now that we forget what is to come. But Lord, as Peter has challenged us, may the what is to come not cause us to fight over how, but to be transformed by that reality. So help me as an individual, help us as a church to reflect Jesus more in lives that reflect and worship God every day in purity and holiness and moral integrity. Help our lives to be at peace even when there's turmoil. May there be that inner peace that others see that keep us calm. For we know the end. The lamb wins, and good will reign, and evil will be destroyed. And reignite our fire, share the faith. So fill us with your Holy Spirit that we just can't help ourselves as a church talk about Jesus and invite others to become his followers. And oh, Father, help us to know the word and know the truth so we stay close to it and true to it and not get sucked in by any false teaching or extreme or divergent theory. And Father, would you help us, especially as we focus on your word next year. Help us to grow in grace, in our behavior and our graciousness to one another and to you and to others. Help us to grow in our knowledge, our experience of, and our understanding of you, our great God and Savior. So, Father, thank you for the Apostle Peter. Thank you for his letter to us. And may we live in the light of the reality of the coming of Jesus. And we look forward to it in his name.
Isso. Amém. We're going to finish off the service with our final song. Before we do, a reminder that we are having the AGM after morning tea. So, if you're going to be here for that, make sure you stick around. As we have the final song, the offering buckets will be coming round. If you are visiting or not a regular attender, please don't feel obligated to put anything in as that come, comes 